Well, there was a tiny bit more risk sentiment on Friday. Why? Well, markets don't move continually in one direction, of course. Sometimes they have a day off. And maybe the news that lockdowns might ease in Shanghai might have been grabbed as a bit of an excuse. But how solid an excuse is that? Well, quite a crumbly excuse, really, as you'll find out today. We'll explain why on this morning's podcast. It's Monday, the 16th of May, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Incidentally, if you like what we do here on The Morning Call, bear that in mind when you fill in the annual Kanga News Survey, won't you, which is open to any Australian-based fixed-income investor. Uh, there's a link to it in the email if you if that's how you find us, uh, that you receive each morning. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we won't tell you how to vote. Just remember us and the NAB Morning Call and all the other economics research that we do here at NAB. And remember, it's a vote per person, not per institution. Now... Bond yields back on the rise on Friday uh, when there was a a bit more risk sentiment in the air than we've been used to of late. Ten-year treasuries up seven basis points, up to 2.92%. German bonds up 11 basis points. Uh, Yields falling a few points for Aussie 10 years, though. And the US dollar fell back a little, too, on Friday as well. But it's still close to those 20-year highs. And even though the US dollar only fell a quarter percent on the DXY on Friday, the Aussie dollar climbed one and a quarter percent, up to 69.4 US cents although that is still 1.9% down over the week, and that makes the Aussie dollar the worst performer of the major currencies during the week. The US stock market staged a bit of a recovery as well, the Nasdaq in particular up 3.8% on Friday. But even with that, still 2.8% down last week overall. It's a similar story for the S&P, up 2.4%, and the Dow up 1.5% on Friday, and big moves in Europe too. But the difference is the Eurostox 50, which was up 2.5% on Friday, that was enough to keep it slightly up over the week rather than seeing it uh, down like we've been seeing in the US. And oil still on the climb. WTI up 4.1% on Friday, Brent up 3.8%. Brent edging to $112 a barrel now, having dipped below 103 earlier in the week. So a bit of a, a recovery and risk appetite. Why? Well, maybe it is China that has a bit to do with that, or maybe it's just a bounce. Here's NAB's Tapa Strickland in Sydney. Uh, so first of all, on the China thing, they are hoping to reopen Shanghai. Well, to try anyway. Um, but, you know, if infections go up, we, we know they're going to be closing it right back down again. Good morning, Phil. And what a tumultuous week it was in global markets. And on Friday, we did get a little bit of reversal of that. And it looked like most of that was due to 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 positioning so obviously a lot of pessimism on on the market on thursday and uh, it doesn't take too much in the way of positive news uh, to get a nice short squeeze occurring there just given where everyone is is positioned so i think that was a main factor for the why the s&p 500 was at 2.4 and you think that it was the china news that was that little bit of optimism that people were looking for yes i think i think it was a combination of both the 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 chinese news so as you noted shanghai um stating that they had a plan for an orderly opening up by May 20th. And that does provide some light at the end of a very long tunnel where there hadn't been too much of an idea of when China could start to ease back on some of the restrictions they've put into place. Um, But it's still unclear whether China will be able to um, open up and whether they'll have to go back into um, some degree of enhanced restrictions in Shanghai if you get further COVID cases. And it's still very unclear what is going to occur in Beijing as well. And I guess one kind of harbinger or maybe uh, flag that um, China isn't giving up on zero COVID policy, which is quite important given how virulent the Omicron variant is, is that uh, China has decided to relinquish its hosting rights for the Asia Soccer Cup in 2023. Um, For those who think China is pivoting towards... uh, 
pivoting away from zero COVID soon, I think that suggests that China's probably sticking with it for a little bit longer. And indeed, um, just given where that is supposed to be held in June 2023, um, you could say that zero COVID policy may be in place um, until um, towards the end of this year. So mm. a lot of uncertainty exactly when uh, China is able to pivot away. I mean, well, just what are they expecting? I mean, say, if you look at Beijing, still in semi-lockdown, they had 50 cases on Friday, 50. Uh, now Beijing has got one third of the population of the UK. The UK has got 130 times the number of daily cases that it got in Beijing and seem to be getting on with it. So uh, yeah, it's uh, zero COVID. I mean, I don't know whether the markets can be positive about uh, the the China situation at all. We'll find out later today, won't we? But what we have seen is a big drop in loans, in wine loans, uh, we we found out on Friday. Oh, indeed. And I think it just goes to show that we we have enhanced restrictions. It's very hard to get um, stimulus pumping through your economy, even though uh, the Chinese authorities have been saying that they wanted to stimulate their economy both through the restrictions that are going on and as we get to the other side of that and that um, very below expectations uh, Chinese aggregate financing is one uh, reflection of that. Uh, today we also get the Chinese monthly activity indicators for retail sales, industrial production and fixed asset investment and they're all expected to show some pretty subdued growth and indeed retail sales expected to go further in to the red there. So uh, those indicators will be watched quite closely to see what kind of impact uh, the enhanced restrictions are having on China. But at this stage, I don't think it's necessarily clear uh, when China is going to pivot away towards living with, with COVID. Yeah, no, no sign yet. And then the uh, People's Bank of China, I mean, there's an expectation, isn't it, that they're going to lower rates today. That's not really going to make much difference to, it's, you know, you're not going to shift your borrowing if uh, lockdowns continue, I mean, not everything is driven by interest rates, is it? If you can't, if you if you can't sell stuff, you're not going to you're not going to make it, basically. No, no, in, indeed, and uh, I guess that's the concern for the Chinese economy in the near term. Um, it's thought that as the um, National People's Congress, uh, I think it uh, starts in September, October of this year, where President Xi is going for a historic third year, uh, third term, um, that may either in the lead up to that or shortly thereafter China may start to pivot towards zero COVID so I think that's what some people were thinking at, at, at the moment but just that headline of uh, China relinquishing its rights to host the Asian World Cup um, does mm. suggest maybe there's a little bit of risk around that yeah well so that we could see a complete change in sentiment today couldn't we because that news was of course was uh, was over the weekend it was uh, so, so yeah that, that optimism from Friday might have disappeared and on top of that you know we uh, I mean a bit of a bounce as well perhaps on Friday uh, given all the sharp moves we saw last week uh, and you know that means we get back to talking about recession don't we those big recession concerns so this pickup in bond yields 10-year treasuries uh, were down 21 basis points over the week even though we saw that seven basis point uh, bounce on friday for uh, for 10 years in the u.s the fall was all driven by recession concerns I mean, they haven't gone away, have they? I mean, in fact, uh, consumer sentiment took a tumble. It's the lowest level since uh, August 2011. And we had a Bloomberg survey of economists published on Friday at 30%. Okay, it's still um, the minority uh, saying there's a chance of a recession at some point in the next 12 months, which is double what it was a few months ago. Indeed, you would have to say recession risk is, is elevated, but at the moment, not many people are calling a US recession in the near term. And that consolidation in yields that we have seen over the past week has been one factor for perhaps why risk sentiment was supported on Friday. Um, But in terms of that University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index, two things to just 
worth reflecting on there. The index itself is at its lowest level since August 2011, and our buying conditions for durables reached its lowest reading uh, since the question began appearing in the monthly surveys, uh, which was in 1978. Um, so pretty dire uh, sentiment conditions for durables and for confidence overall. And real two key factors is being the rate of inflation uh, occurring in the US and then also the tightening up in financial conditions that we have seen and some reflection of that. Um, the home buying sentiment within that survey um, also fell to its lowest level since 1982. Um, so it does suggest that mm. the tightening in financial conditions is starting to feel its way through the US economy. And indeed, when you look at the Goldman Sachs Financial Conditions Index, I think it's risen by about two percentage points over the past year. It's still uh, relatively in line with its long averages, but just the size of the move has been so large. And uh, I was just looking through some of the, the data, and there's only been three periods when financial conditions in the US tightened in terms of a change of sense by as much as this. And this was in 1982. 2001 and 2008. Um, so that does suggest that just the change in financial conditions has been fairly rapid and uh, that does um, enhance uh, uh, recession risk in the yeah. US, although no one yet is um, actively calling uh, for a recession. Just, yeah. Yet. Well, uh, yeah. Oh, Jerome, here we had Jerome Powell, <clears throat> didn't we, on Thursday in an interview saying, uh, you know, can't guarantee the soft landing anymore. Um, getting inflation under control is not going to be admitted, uh, easy, sorry. And he admitted, uh, you know, a lot of it could be down to factors that the Fed can't control, like what happens in uh, Ukraine and what happens in China, for example. Oh, indeed. And uh, we've been talking on this uh, podcast for quite some time about the Fed's willingness to uh, raise rates in the face of sustained high inflation and maybe faltering growth. And uh, at least... Chair Powell's words there suggest he's very willing to keep going uh, and get inflation down. And the Fed's minister also uh, spoke on Friday as well. And just worth noting, she reiterated the view that 50 basis points hikes are likely in June and July. But for her, the real focus really is the September FOMC meeting, because by then they'll know whether inflation has started to moderate. And if it hasn't, then the Fed may actually have to uh, pick up its hiking pace. Um, so maybe putting back a 75 basis point hike on the table. So that talk was very hawkish, but deliberately hawkish in the sense that they really want to make sure inflation expectations don't get out of control because then that would entrench the higher inflation that we have seen so far. And indeed, that strategy looks like it's working in some respect because when you look at the 10-year implied inflation break even in the US, it's currently hovering at around 2.74% and it's fallen by around 13 basis points over the past What week. I don't get is when economists say that you know uh, consumers will weather rising prices because they can dip into their savings that have sort of been accrued through the pandemic. I mean, two things on that. I mean, that obviously depends on the on the distribution of those savings and whether it's the, the very rich that have saved and perhaps the poor haven't uh, but also whether people are happy to see you know to dip into that pot if they're uncertain about the future but the other thing as well is if they were to do that and so there was no demand construction then we'd, we'd still see demand high so surely that is just going to perpetuate inflation isn't it? I mean, indeed and that's been one of the risks especially around the good side of the economy um, so goods goods especially durables in the US is running about 16% above pre-pandemic levels. And um, that's even with the real income squeeze that we're starting to see. So it does suggest that consumers are either dipping into their savings a little bit or are accumulating a little bit more on the credit side. Um, and so that does have the chance to perpetuate the kind of inflationary pressures that we are seeing. But I'm still relatively skeptical about um, the distribution of those savings. So when you look in the distribution, it's actually the higher income people who saved the most during the pandemic. And indeed, we've been talking about uh, the consumer credit data in, in the US and how that started to rise. And I think that's reflective 
of uh, people obviously um, at the lower end um, ha- having to borrow, especially on the credit card, because they're being faced by these yeah, high prices. Clearest day, isn't it? Uh, so I'm wondering whether those uh, import and export prices were a glimmer of hope on Friday in the United States, though, because import prices were flat in April after a uh, 2.9% rise, I think it was in March. Export prices were up, but 0.6% month on month. But that is well down on the previous month. But uh, flat import prices, surely that's a good sign, isn't it? It is a good sign. Perhaps a sign that the rise in the US dollar that we are seeing is going to put a bit of a dampening on on imported inflation in to the US. So that would be positive. Um, but the more worrying thing is what's going on the services side of the US economy, uh, and particularly on the wages side. So you are seeing... Uh, services inflation quite quite elevated and so i think for the fed they probably feel that they still have to be relatively aggressive at least in their rhetoric in order to bring down that that inflation on the services side. well look we probably won't spend long dwelling on the the war because we haven't got long but um uh, you know the news over the weekend was finland and sweden are now both definitely wanting to join nato uh which will upset mr putin and to rub salt into the wound uh, ukraine won the eurovision song contest as well for the second time in six years and russia wasn't allowed to enter and has never won they've only ever come second and here's ukraine going ha ha look at us we won twice so uh, that's really going to get their goat isn't it uh but look to make it all uh, worse of course uh, there could be more sanctions as well. Uh, the EU is hopeful that they're going to get hungry to join the embargo on uh, on Russian oil. Uh, so it just keeps on going on, doesn't it? But Europe saw industrial production fall in March, uh, down obviously because of all of this, down 1.8% month on month for April. Uh, and uh, we get spring forecasts, don't we, for the European Commission out today? Oh, definitely. And I think that'll be worth watching quite closely exactly to see where uh, the European officials are thinking growth will be but the growth headwinds in europe are very clear and they're coming from the war in russia and ukraine and coming from um, energy prices there and i don't think anyone um is feeling all that optimistic about europe at, at the moment no and probably parity uh for the euro to the us dollar it got down a dollar three on on friday which is the lowest in five years it's you know not hard to imagine that we're going to see the us dollar strengthening and the euro getting weaker oh in, in, indeed you have to say the vulnerability in the euro is, yeah. is quite clear yeah. all right australia very quickly before we finish new home sales uh fell on Friday. Do you think that's something to do with interest rates or just the fear of them? Uh, but I mean, they, these numbers are pretty choppy though, aren't they? But a 1.2% drop in April. Oh yes, definitely. And you'd have to think that um, housing market turnover is going to be falling as well, uh, just given the mm. high rate environment. And indeed, when you look at three fixed rates in Australia, they've started to rise. I think they're at the highest level since about 2016 now. So that transmission from um, uh, the guidance that the RBA has been giving and the market pricing is definitely finding its way through to the housing market. And we also got week, weekend auction clearance rates as well. Um, they are at relatively low level. So it does suggest the softening up occurring in the housing market. We'll get Aussie wages data later on in the week and uh, lots from the UK as well. we get jobs, uh, retail sales, uh, CPI. But today, I guess it is really, I mean, not a lot out today, but it really is about China, isn't it? Those numbers from China, uh, because obviously the flow on effects that China has for supply chains, uh, and it's very possible that we'll see uh, some of that uh, that risk sentiment that was gained on Friday disappearing today. It's 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 possible, and the consensus for retail sales in China is uh, for a minus six point two percent year on year, from minus three point five percent. So quite a hefty impact of the enhanced restrictions that we have been seeing in China, and it's just still very unclear exactly uh, when China starts to pivot towards living with with COVID. And just quickly, just going back to the week ahead for Australia, I think the wages data um, will be the key focus. For for the week, um, and that's mainly because um, the RBA has been saying that they're relying on their liaison data. So, um, 
and other survey data in telling them that wages are going to pick up and are picking up. And that was part of the reason why the RBA pivoted towards hiking rates in May. Um, so if you did get a fairly strong wages print, then you would have to say the wages picture was actually a little bit more stronger and more prevalent than the RBA thought in May. And that would increase the risk of a supersized 40 to 50 basis point hike in June. So we'll be looking quite closely at that wages data on Wednesday. I'm suspecting we're in for another roller coaster week, aren't we? Uh, good to talk, Tapas. We'll catch you again very soon. Thanks. Cheers. Thanks, Phil. And that is the morning call this Monday morning. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. Back again tomorrow morning. See you then. Thanks for listening.